welcome to the Bulletproof Development Podcast. In this episode, we have uh, the pleasure of welcoming on the phone Michael Primrose. Now, Michael is from the Property Finance Collective, formerly uh, the Property Finance Guy, and they specialise in development finance, bridging loans, and commercial loans. Uh, welcome, Michael. Hi, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I have a list of accolades that I have found on uh, on and around your website and on your social media. Quite impressive. Oh dear. Uh, property <laughs> Property Investor Awards 2019 finalist, shortlisted for three awards at the 2020 uh, Mortgage Awards, uh, Bridging and Commercial 35 Under 35 Power List, and to top it off, Progressive Property Network uh, Monument Host. Yeah, and progressive approved broker as well. Oh, there you go. So, although uh, I'm not quite sure, <laughs> I don't know whether that counts as an accolade or not, but <laughs> it's uh, um, yeah, blimey, I didn't really. Yeah, there you go. That's, there you um, go. There's your uh, there's your list, your very own power list. So you are um, <laughs> t- tell me, quite new to business on your own in you know working for yourself in your own right, so to speak. Yeah, so I I set up my own business uh, back in when would it have been? Uh, March, February, March, 2018. Uh, I set up with a couple of JV partners, which pe- people will probably be bored of hearing the same thing now that unfortunately that that didn't work out. Uh, just one of those things, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, in November 2018, uh, I, I then set up the property finance guy, uh, which was the brokering side, uh, which has now obviously become the property finance collective. Uh, I've still retained the property finance guys, sort of my my personal brand, if you like. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've only really been in business completely solo, uh, I suppose now for yeah, 15, 16 months. So yeah, not, not long at all. And, um, whole, and actually in that. A whole new learning curve, I'm guessing. Uh, yes. Yeah. And it's been uh, intertwined with Brexit, Corona, all sorts of other interesting things. So it's really been a um, a baptism of fire into business for sure. Yeah, well, it's funny, isn't it? Because in in property circles in the property world, when there's a crisis or trouble in the market, for some people bury their heads in the sand and and focus on the doom and gloom, and others focus solely on the opportunity. So um, where you probably lose some clients to the negativity and the doom and gloom, you gain others through the optimism and the belief that there's going to be some unbelievable opportunities coming up. Yeah, and I, I'm the same at this moment in time. I think there's some some incredible opportunities uh, to be had at the minute. Um, I think it's just, just a case of working through the noise a little bit and uh, yeah, just, just guiding yourself yeah. to those opportunities and just so we can put some context to the uh to the listeners we are recording this podcast in isolation so to speak or in an official lockdown here in the uk um because of the coronavirus situation uh, we would have been doing this as a sort of an in-person podcast but due to uh, circumstances we decided to do it over over the phone um so when we talk about crisis we're talking about you know this situation of coronavirus is going on at the moment and the, you know the global pandemic that uh, seems to be putting financial markets into turmoil and everybody staying at home in lockdown yeah it's uh, an interesting time for sure <laughs> so how are you um how are you finding things you know to be pretty new in business to then have it you know have to completely adjust everything and, and, and i'm guessing work from home how are you finding that in in your business in your industry at the moment yeah i mean to be fair we're we're quite lucky i mean there's six of us now 
Um, so we, we've grown pretty rapidly. Um, and actually, we're all quite young. And I think that my, my oldest member of staff is 30. Um, okay. So we, we're all pretty tech savvy. So actually, for us, it, it wasn't too bad because actually, I'd, I'd set the business up to be mobile anyway. Um, so all, all the staff have been set up with sort of good mobile phones, good laptops rather than desktops. Um, so yeah, everything had sort of been almost prepped for this moment. Um, and, and we built everything like our apps, podcasts, everything so that all of our content could be consumed from anywhere. Um, so yeah, we've sort of, for me, it hasn't really made any difference in terms of how we work. I mean, it's, it's weird not going into the office and having to do everything over zoom calls in the morning. That's, that's a new one for me. Um, I tell you what, there's one chair you want to own at the moment and that's zoom. Oh, hundred percent. Um, although actually t- talking to shares, I, I made a very nice investment actually the other day into, uh, an airline, uh, which has done very, very well actually. So <laughs> just as a, as a side note, but that's not financial advice. No. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's been okay. It's, it's just that, yeah, working on, working on your own is, is difficult at the best of times. I mean, I'm very lucky that my wife is full-time in the business as well. So we sort of, uh, it's good because we're both working from home. We're both sort of obviously the the two owners of the business, so we we can make those decisions and bounce off each other. Yeah, in the living room. Um, yeah, I think we had a shareholder who or or a director who wasn't one of the two of us. It probably would have made it harder because actually decision making would have had to be done over over a Zoom call. Um, yeah, I, it's been okay for us. Um, I think yeah, it's, it's probably been very difficult for other people, but but for us at the minute, we, we seem to be all right. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the same as you. So I back in uh, when was it? Would it have been back in 2016, 17? I made the choice to exit the business that I was predominantly spending all of my time in, which we had, you know, we had over a hundred employees and we was operating out of four countries. Um, so I was traveling all over the place, you know, um, working sort of 15, 16 hour days constantly for the best part of four years. And I just reached a point where I was like, you know, what is all this for? No, I don't, this is not what I want to do. And I'm really went about sort of a personal development journey and reevaluating life and working out what was important to me. And that led me to completely moving myself to work from home. Luckily enough, we was in the process of doing quite a lot of building work at home. So we, as part of the extension that we built, I built quite a nice home office and literally made that my base. Um, and so for two and a bit years now, I've been taking the kids to school, picking them up, you know, being part of their life regularly and balancing that around working from home. And I think there's one thing that people will find out of this uh, virus situation and an imposed lockdown is that you can be as productive as you can in an office away from the office if you focused and you 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 know you do it in the right way and you set up a working space for yourself at home you can actually get quite a good balance which is something that you know the main eye eye opener i had when i i made that choice to stop what i was doing and and work from home basically yeah and i I think we we were aware of that pretty quickly as well um i mean it's it's we have to have an office base because you i think you've you've still got to have an office when you're running a, a more than just sort of a one-man band that I was when I first started. But yeah, I think for us, the, the working from home hasn't made any difference other than we're on a Zoom call rather than in the office. Um, and, and actually the cost of Zoom is much less than the cost of an office. So it's, um, I don't know, we'll see how long the lockdown goes down, but I, 
and in theory, if if it all does work out, then I mean, maybe we'll, yeah, maybe we'll make the decision to actually just become a completely remote business. Um, but I think that's yeah. I think it's still, yeah. I think it's still good to have a pre- I still have an office. I just I just only go there. You know, I I, I attend the office once or twice a week. Um, so I yeah. you know, I still have I still have staff in an office. I still have an office. I still you know I'm in contact with them every day. But I just structure my days so that I spend my time at home and I you know I I focus on the balance and what's important as opposed to really aggressively growing a business and then you know like I did get, yeah. got to a point of what is this all for really uh, this, yeah. this is you know this is ridiculous uh, uh, I was unhappy moody grumpy all the time and, and and just made some changes and I think it is when you become a father that you sort of hit that that point um I think yeah very much with with me as soon as I became a dad uh it was exactly the same for me I was sort of I missed my first daughter's first year pretty much because I was working for somebody else at the time and working stupid hours uh and i think yeah it's it's finding that balance like you said uh and i think i'm I'm now up to three kids um and the lovely thing is actually with daughter number two and son number one i've 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 been more present and it's 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 been good um and actually it's allowed me for the last two years to make it up to my first daughter for not being there when I should have been. Yeah, no, um, and that, that was exactly that. Sorry, that was exactly the same with me. You know, I I, ha- I have three kids and a fourth one on the way, pretty imminent actually, over the next couple of weeks. And um, oh, and uh, my first, you know, my first child, I probably missed the first five years of her life. Really, I, you know, just because through selfishness and through a feeling that I was doing the right thing by working, but actually it was having you know a detrimental effect. And and it, for me, the wake up call was my wife actually uh, said to me, "You're an idiot." who are you? I don't recognize who you are, what you're doing. You know, I don't understand it basically. And and it was a, you know, a huge wake up call and said, right, okay, I'll adjust. And and actually, thankfully now on the other side of that, it, it was, you know, all for the better. Um, yeah. We've gone down a bit of a personal development route there, which is, which is not where we were supposed to go. <laughs> we've, we've done <laughs> no, well, it's, I, think, I think it's good. <laughs> I think it's good for people to understand though, because I think a lot of people will be going through the same thing probably at the minute. They'll have, spent the last three or four years working 20 hours a day to build a business. And all of a sudden now we've been put into this forced isolation and lockdown at home. We've all of a sudden realized and remembered that they've got kids. Uh, and I, I think it will, it will be a great wake up call for a lot of people. And I think that's the great thing about, well, I shouldn't really say the great thing about the virus because there is no great thing about a virus, but if it's done anything, it's, it's actually helped people remember that, family is one of the if not the most important thing um so yeah i think it's good to go off on that tangent yeah, yeah no, we definitely went off on the tangent and, and i think when people uh, if you if if we if we put our entrepreneurs hat on and we look at business being a business owner and starting a business often you feel you know there's words like hustle and hard work and all that type of stuff and sometimes it's about working smart as about as opposed to working hard and you know i can find you know someone we you know uh, rob moore that we both know and we, you know we both i guess consider as a a mentor or somebody you know we 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 follow yeah. um you know he says isn't it? it's about structuring your day correctly and i find that i get 
in three hours of of the day, I can get the equivalent of a you know a ten twelve hour day that I used to do when I had quite a large team and we was working in an office just by focusing on what I need to get done on my key result areas on you know my targets that I want to hit for the day and it and it's a a much smarter way of working and I I think that's something that anybody that's looking to start a business go out on their own start for themselves is something that they should. Um, really look to replicate and follow if they if they want to get that balance because often it's not you know we often start businesses because we we feel like we're supporting our families and we're providing a better future for them but you see such a high divorce rate between people that have gone on and built businesses and and uh, you know in four or five years after they built the business it's because they don't take a step back and look for the balance look how to support their family correctly and they go off on one journey and their families stay still on another yeah, and I think, yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Um, so anyway, let's end that 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 tangent there. Um, <laughs> so you guys do development finance, bridging loans, commercial loans, and we are a property development podcast. And we, you know, I'm trying to uh, through my podcast educate people on the basic concepts of property development, give them some advice. Um, my background is being a professional in uh, in construction and property development for the last decade, and. I just wanted to ask you the question, what have you seen change since coronavirus sort of kicked in? Now, really, there's two parts to coronavirus for me. There's the part pre-lockdown and then there's the the, the, the global panic or the panic in the UK, especially since we went into lockdown. And since that lockdown point, which I think was uh, Monday this week, last Monday, um, yeah, there's been all sorts of headlines coming out in property press. And, you know, the doom and gloom mongers come out and everybody, you know, likes to create negative news. Um, I'm not saying that it's a negative situation, but I'm reading stuff like the property market's freezing, banks are pulling their products, um, you know, money's going to stop flowing. And if you believe the headlines we're all going to come to a you know an abrupt end from a financial point of view what are you seeing in being in that business you know with uh, boots on the ground what 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 changes have you seen over the last few days yeah so i suppose it's the first caveat to put to this is that what i'm seeing is the sort of commercial side so the development bridging lenders uh, I, I don't see a lot of residential or buy to let. Okay. Um, so I, I can't really comment on sort of what's happening on that side of the market, but as this is a development podcast, they're probably not going to be too bothered about that anyway. No. So from the from the commercial side, we're actually seeing a huge percentage business as usual. Uh, now, when I say business as usual, obviously everyone, and I, I don't think there's an exception to that, everyone has lowered their loans of values. By how much uh, are, you, are you seeing on that? Well, on the development of bridging, we're only seeing it drop by about an average of 5%. Okay. As opposed to residential buy-to-let that seem to be dropping by 25, 30. Um, so that there's not been a huge drop. Uh, now, the, the difficulty with the commercial and bridging side is that a couple of lenders have closed their doors um, whilst in lockdown. The, the reason being for it is nothing to do with financial trouble whatsoever. Um, and I think this is where the confusion comes in. The reason that they've closed their door to new applications is because there's no solicitors, there's no valuers, that you, you can't push a transaction through. So from their point of view, there's there's no point in taking new applications until the lockdown stops because we can't do anything. Yeah, no, you're spot on. Um, I, I have a, sorry, I have a, 
just a, 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 a buy to let one of my buy to let properties I had a, a remortgage and it's been in we've been about six weeks into the remortgage and we should have completed last week um, and uh, the lender uh, sent me basically sent me in a holding email, an open-ended holding email uh, earlier in the week just basically saying we cannot give you a completion date at this time uh, and basically yeah. listed the reasons that you've just exactly said that there's you know there's no solicitors work you know that there, there's no way for them to physically complete the paperwork yeah, and that's it. And I mean, the, the good thing about the bridging and development side is that they can be more open to more 21st century solutions. So the guys who have kept their doors open are the guys that can accept desktop valuations. Uh, we do a lot of, uh, obviously, development finance, which a lot of it is just land. Uh, so th- there's no reason why valuation can't take place on a plot of land. So we've got valuations taking place next week. So not every single valuer has closed their doors. They've just said, we're not doing valuations where there's people in the house. If it's an empty house, if it's a plot of land, if it's an empty commercial building, you're still going to be able to get valuation stuff. Um, and again, the other thing is that a lot of solicitors are still working. Now, the difficulty is, is that not every lender, hence why some have closed their doors, not every lender can accept ID, ILA, which is independent legal advice, uh, they can't all accept that over a Skype call, for example. Um, but some can, which is why, again, some have sort of kept their doors open and are still lending. They've dropped their loans of values because the thing is, and the reason they've not dropped it a huge amount, is because actually we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we're, I mean, my monument event was three weeks ago on Tuesday. We had 151 people in the room. Now, you sort of think what's happened in those three because 150 people in a room now is like the scariest thing you can ever think of. <laughs> um, and it's like, it, it was three weeks. That's all it was. Um, and actually Corona didn't really sort of kick off until the following week. So we're only really two weeks into this. Um, and the problem is it's in such a huge knee jerk reaction because it had to be, um, but the problem with knee-jerk reactions is that it causes panic, uh, understandably, because obviously the lenders who are making knee-jerk reactions, who are closing their doors, uh, who are stopping lending, who are pulling products, they're the ones who then create panic because everyone just assumes, oh, if they're doing it, everyone's doing it. Yeah, and actually, um, we don't know. We don't know their requirements behind the scenes to their investors or to where their equity is coming from in the first place. So, you know, that, that, that there's, a, there's another side to lending that people don't see, which could be the reason that's... Exactly that. And, and the issue is as well is that a few lenders closed their doors before the lockdown. Now, to me, that something just doesn't smell quite right with that because if, if you're closing your doors pre-lockdown, there's, there's obviously something on your books uh, that you are worried about. Now, one of the lenders, particularly that, that has closed recently, uh, or I said closed, they, they haven't closed, they've paused. I should be careful with wording here because all I'm doing is fuel in yeah. the fire, but uh, they've paused lending. So they've not closed, they've just paused. Uh, and the reason they paused is because they were leveraging at 80% loan to value on bridging. So when you think about that, I mean, that, that's a vast, vast amount. Uh, of, of leverage to have and if you think everything on the yeah everything on their book is at that leverage as well 
Yeah, their risk um, their risk profile there is huge. Considering the type yeah. of, the type of you know the type of projects properties that they're probably lending that amount of money against the profile of some of the the, the people that are probably borrowing it as well. They they got a huge risk risk profile there, haven't they? So, hundred percent. And I think the yeah the biggest issue is I think with these guys who have got the big risk profiles that are shutting their door and that are pausing the lending they're creating panic within the market for other people. I would say of our entire lender panel at the minute, I would say you're talking less than 10% of pause lending. Um, and we've got a big lender panel. So we're, we're talking less than 10% at the minute. I would say 95% have lowered loan to values. Um, I would say only 5% have sort of really truly kept business as usual. Um, I mean, we, we had a development loan that completed uh, when was that? It was earlier this week, Tuesday, I think it was. Uh, we're talking a couple of million quid, uh, and that completed at 65% loan to GDP, uh, so the normal sort of parameters you'd expect. There was no fear, there was no panic, it was just business as usual. Yeah, we're not pulling the loan because it's fine. On the flip side, the mezzanine finance uh, that we had had in place for that, that loan, uh, they actually pulled all of their funding uh, the morning of completion. However, what they actually did was that they still completed on that loan. So they they pulled all their funding for everyone else who was going through, but because we were the day of completion, they still uh, completed on the deal. So, and in, in terms of actually seeing deals pulled, I think I've only seen, I think, three deals that have been pulled since lockdown. And actually, we've managed to place them all pretty much straight away. Um so we, we've not seen anything. The, the, the only deal that we've seen fall off the pipeline or be paused on the pipeline uh, was in Scotland, and that was purely because the Scottish Land Registry closed. Yeah, I saw that. And actually, people are f- forgetting that that these lenders, will, their business is lending money. They want to lend money. If they're not lending money, they're not making any money. So they have to lend money. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why solicitors are still working from home, still trying to work over... Uh, Skype calls, that sort of thing, because actually if they're not working, again, they're, they're going to collapse. Um, and it's the same with valuers. If valuers can get out and continue to keep doing valuations, albeit on, on empty properties, it's great for them. Uh, and I think as long as they can keep operating, I mean, a commercial valuer, you're talking two and a half, three and a half grand per valuation. So it's, it's in their interest, especially at the minute, to continue doing valuations. Um, and yeah, that, that's what we're seeing at the minute. It's still, still people are eager to get out there and are still eager, uh, obviously, to, to carry on as normal to a certain degree. Um, obviously, the biggest issue at the minute is viewings. Not many viewings can take place. Um, but again, I mean, fingers crossed that'll be that'll be lifted sooner rather than later. But again, there's so many question marks. I mean, actually, at the point of recording this, uh, it's actually just been announced that Boris Johnson has got coronavirus. Yeah, I've so seen that obviously sitting here gonna, on the phone, yeah. Yeah, that's obviously now going to create issues as well moving forward. So I, look, I think it's a case of, uh, with all of this stuff, just waiting and seeing what happens, really. Um, everyone's... A, there's, there's still an eagerness to lend. There's still an eagerness to do valuations. Still an eagerness from vendors to sell as well. And the good thing as well is, as a developer, if you're in this market, it's a 
great market for creative deals. Ah, well, commercial um, property, you know, the amount of, uh, the, you know, I know you wouldn't want to, ca- you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult situation for lots of people out there. But what this will do is there'll be more pubs, there'll be more commercial spaces, there'll be more, you know, prime sites for developers that we all like, that we all, you know, we all like to be involved with will be coming onto the market in a few months' time because they just simply won't, won't be able to last this out, even with the support packages that have been put in place. Yeah, exactly that. And the, the thing is, as well, is vendors are going to be open to lease options. They're going to be open to option agreements. Anything that can get them over the line, basically. Um, yeah, I, I think we've got a developer at the minute who's uh, he's buying a plot of land in Oxford. Uh, deal works, as the figures stand. Uh, Valuation's been done the last couple of days. All the figures still stack. But actually, there's an ability to now look at like deferred payments, for example. Um, so anything that potentially could just, yeah, it's, it's all just about lowering the risk. That's all it is. And I think if, if you start looking at overages, if you start looking at deferred payments, that sort of thing, you can start to build in almost safety nets uh, in case anything does happen. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it's definitely a, it, it's a great market to be in for coming up with creative deals and i think if you can be creative and i think if you if you know how to sell yourself and also sell uh the prospect of a creative deal then i think yeah that some developers are going to do very very well in the next couple of weeks let me um let me give you uh i was asked a question i i consult for some developers i also develop myself and and then one situation that we were dealing with this week uh, with a with a client of mine was the fact that they've just reached the end of their development. So the property was uh, properties would have just hit the market. Uh, obviously, I think they hit the market last week, so the week before the the, the lockdown was imposed. Um, and they are approaching the end of their development finance deal. And I'm sure there'll be lots of people out there that are in a similar situation. And they've already had some delays on the project, but obviously this is going to cause even further delays. And they're going to basically fall into a situation in about a month's time of, uh, be you know, penalty interest and and you know uh, other penalties associated to their loan. Um, how do you think lenders are going to react to that? Because they've obviously there's going to be lots of people in that situation where if we have a three month shutdown and for whatever reason their site shuts for three months, that's a net three month delay onto the project, um, which wouldn't have been taken into account. Whilst a lot of these guys have probably got contingencies in terms of the time frame for a delay, it will start to impact on the the, the net time frame of the development. If you look at the development finance element, it will start to affect those uh, those um lending agreements do you think yeah no actually this is really spooky because if you have a look on my facebook feed about 30 minutes ago uh and I, i'm wondering if this is where you picked it up i haven't seen that no no no, no I, I haven't i, 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 so, I had somebody that, it, that was that's in that situation now that was that was asking uh, okay. me advice only last week so the, the reason it's quite spooky is because half an hour ago i, I posted uh, basically a a solution to this issue, uh, which is the developer exit product. Um, and essentially what that allows, and I'll, I'll take this from two approaches, so either refinancing or 
renegotiating. So the first one is refinancing. So any developers that are at the back end of their development finance agreements, they've put the properties on the market, for example, they're going to be, in theory, leveraged to the maximum of 65% loan to GDP, let's say, for argument's sake. Now, there's the opportunity to finance that onto something called a developer exit product, which is essentially a, a bridging loan, basically. Um, but it's normally cheaper than your development finance. Now, obviously, in the current market, that may or may not be the case. There's going to be a mix depending on the leverage. Now, in the normal market, you would expect to go to 75% of the current value or the GDV. Uh, so where you're leveraged to 65% of the GDV, essentially, you can then go to 75% of the GDV on this developer exit product, pull out 10% of your GDV. So if it's a, a three million pound GDV, for example, you're going to pull out 300 grand. You're going to have bought yourself 12 months, nine months, six months, however long you want to take that bridge for. So you've avoided penalty interest. You've then also potentially gone on to cheaper interest as well. So you're potentially saving yourself money on, on interest because the average development loan is, let's say, 10% per annum. Uh, depending on how much experience you've got, you might be 7 8 Whereas at Developer Exit, you're looking maybe 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6% a month. So actually, it brings it right down in terms of interest costs. Obviously, you've got the arrangement fees, valuation, legals in order to refinance. But again, that's still cheaper than default interest. And also the other thing as well is you don't want that black mark against your name of having gone into default on a development loan because it will become very, very difficult to get development finance in the future. Um, so that, that's sort of your first option, that developer exit style product, uh, which like I said, funnily enough, we, we sort of put uh, a bit of content out about that this morning because obviously in today's current market, that is probably one of the... Uh, best products that you're going to get access to um, because not only is it going to put cash flow into your into your bank account it's also going to buy you time in terms of the development finance as well uh, development lenders the second option and this this very much relies on sort of the relationship that you've got with the development lender is just purely negotiate a extension um, especially in the current market as well you would have thought the development lender would be open to looking at something like that now, it depends who it's with, depends on the relationship. They might say, you know what, actually, we, we just can't can't afford an extension at the minute. Um, and they're, they're well within their rights to say that. I think it's it's a difficult time for everybody. Yeah, um, I produced a piece of content a couple of weeks ago, and I, I the only time I've been in a situation like this, thankfully, uh, my own developments at the moment, we can ride out this time. You know, if it's three months, it, it probably won't cause much of an issue. Um, although I've got one in planning, and it might, it's going to cause a bit of time because obviously the planning departments are working from home. But I uh, had a site um, that I was uh, managing as as uh, development manager, project manager, um, a fair few years ago, and we dug up some bones on site, and we had a um, the London Museum shut the site down and for archaeological reasons, and we actually had a six month delay while they excavated the whole site to uh, take wow. to take these bones away. And in that case, the developer at the time, and I was obviously heading the negotiations for them, um, managed to get an extension given the circumstances from the lender. And they were seen at the time as being quite a, an aggressive lender and probably, you know, everybody on the first take would have said, no, they're not going to give you an extension, but they actually did. So I, I think you're right. In the current conditions, in unprecedented times that we're in, um, if... Yeah. 
maybe those negotiations would be successful. Um, you know, yeah. because, because uh, it, what's the alternative? Yeah. You know, there's, even if the development was to fold, the banks don't want to take it back at the moment. <laughs> so it's, no, it's, no, no, definitely not. Because what are they going to do with it at the minute? Yeah, um, probably not a lot, realistically. So uh, it, it, it's a difficult one. But I think in terms of that, I mean, the, the, the negotiation is a great idea, and I think actually it, it works out the cheaper well potentially the cheaper option um but the only thing that that doesn't do is it doesn't give you the cash flow in the bank account um and it, it just depends at the minute i mean we, we put a case study out this morning uh the one that we did recently i mean it gave the developer 650 grand in his bank account so he avoided going into default interest plus it put 650 grand in his account which at the minute is just i mean it's like gold dust trying yeah to cash is king cash right moment, your account. yeah hundred percent but it, it let him buy two more sites as well. So the thing is, is when you're looking at a deal like that, had he fallen into default, had they repossessed, this was before Corona, but had they repossessed the site, you're then in a situation where you've lost the site that you're currently working on, which for him was, I think it was a 2.2 million pound uh, GDV. Uh, and there was probably yeah, well a good chunk of profit in that. Uh, so you've lost that, you've lost the profit in there, you've gone into default, it's caused you all sorts of problems uh, in terms of that as well. Um, plus, you've also then missed out on these other two development sites as well, which means all of a sudden you you've got nothing to move on to. So yeah, I think it's it's, it's just about being smart about it. And I think yeah, if you can if you can get cash in the bank now of all times, great because you'll pick up some absolute bargains. Um, but I think on the flip side as well, yeah, you you've got to be careful about the cost of that. And that's where the nego- if you don't need the cash in the bank, then that that's where negotiations. Uh, come in and uh, are just invaluable at the minute. Yeah, and also uh, having a good broker, having a very active broker that wants to uh, that wants to help resolve the situation is also a plus. I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, definitely, and I think especially at the minute, it's it's more important than ever uh, actually to to have a good broker uh, and to have an active broker and a broker that's got a hold on the market because I think it's it's very easy to go to a broker now of all times uh, and actually be sort of put off buying anything um, and I think yeah that's that's not the best thing to have right now you need to have a a, a true realistic view of the market yeah uh, look, Michael, last question, because we've kept you long enough, uh, and I do appreciate this. Um, we obviously were due to, you were due to come and uh, speak at my, uh, at our property development masterclass, which was going to be an in-person um, event. And for obvious reasons, uh, they are banned and we can no longer do that. Um, so yeah. one of the topics that would have come up, I know for sure, at that event, would have been uh, we were in that event we would have been coaching uh, new uh, people new to property development people maybe coming out of other property strategies into development um, and, and one question that would have come up is around how to overcome the uh, the, the the lack of experience in development terms with the lenders so you know you touched on uh, earlier on in this podcast how if you're an experienced developer you're going to get a, a low rate of interest in somebody that's not experienced but one category that development finance providers are looking at is the experience of the developer so what advice would you give to anybody that's just looking to undertake their first development doesn't necessarily have a track record of previous developments how can they overcome that situation with lenders in your experience 
Yeah, so mainly the the one and the one most important uh, thing that they look at is is the experience of the team around you. Uh, so even as the developer, if you've got no experience previously, but you bring on a project manager or a contractor that is very very experienced, then lenders will often take a view. Um, and it doesn't need to be a JV with the contractor. Doesn't need to be a JV with the project manager. Just needs to be a case of you've employed a very good contractor or a very good project manager. Uh, and actually, most times lenders will take a view on that. And actually, because you're not going to be the one laying the bricks on site. So as long as you've got a good contractor or a good project manager, they're the ones that are going to be managing the site. They're the ones that are going to be managing the cost. They're the ones who are who are experienced. Um, and yeah, we tend to find that that gets you through your first one. Um, now, so I mean, if you really want to bring the interest rate down, which, to be honest, there's not that much difference between first-time developer interest rates and experienced developer interest rates. I mean, you're looking at potentially three percent per annum. I would say is, is probably as, as a rule of thumb is the average. Um, I mean, it could be as much as five. So let's say five percent per annum is is the difference in your interest rate. Now, some people will tell you that actually you should JV with the contractor, maybe go 50-50 and and get them on board that way in order to get the cheaper finance. But actually, when you look at it, the difference in the interest compared to a 50% profit share is vast. So you're actually giving away a huge amount more of the project than you probably need to. Um, So for me, I I would probably avoid doing a JV for your first one um i think just try and keep it you want to maximize profit uh and i mean jvs are good and uh, i mean if you want to do jv do a jv it's 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 everyone's personal choice but i think that there's no sort of uh definitive requirement that, that that's what you need to do and often um, jvs bring another layer of, layer of complexity anyway for the first for, for people's first development it can it can also be a, a definitely you know a, a just just sometimes a step too far for some people it can be because you need to have a whole different skill set to then be able to manage a JV partner. Um, because naturally you want different things. You'll, you'll want to proceed with things in a different way. You want to use the, it's silly things like you'll both want to use different solicitors probably. Um, and that then just escalates into an argument about which solicitor to use. Um, so it's, yeah. It, no, it's it a skill in very, itself. Yeah. Definitely. And, and and that's it. I think if you if you can master that skill, then great. But I, I think for your first ones, there's no definitive requirement to use a JV partner. Uh, we we have always specialised in development finance for first time developers. Uh, it's, it's who we've always sort of dealt with mainly. Um, so, yeah, we've got plenty of lenders that will just lend first time developers as long as they've got a good team around them. Okay, well, look, Michael, thank you very much for uh, your time. Uh, Do you want to share your website address and uh, any social media handles um, where we can find you guys? Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. And really, I mean, if if you just search the Property Finance Collective, uh, either through Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, or in Google, uh, our website address is thepropertyfinancecollective.co.uk. And yeah, you can find all our details, links to the podcast, everything through there. Brilliant. Michael, thank you very much. This is the Bulletproof Development Podcast. Thanks for listening and we will see you in the next episode.